0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the ArenaCraft podcast devoted exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I am your host kind of wild we're on episode 12 already i don't remember recording 12 episodes of this show but here we are and thank you so much to all of our returning listeners who come back week after week you guys are awesome your support is awesome and i wanted to thank all of the people who responded to my call last week by leaving reviews on itunes by joining the discord by following the youtube channel where I post the same version of this show that you're hearing right now, but for YouTube. So if you like taking in content that way, you can do that. Thank you also to the people who followed on Twitter. And it's also really been picking up in the Discord channel, which has been wonderful. People have been posting deck lists, and we've just been discussing various aspects and helping each other tune decks and stuff like that. So Yeah, it's been really fun. If that sounds interesting to you, come check it out, join the conversation, share a deck, share an idea you've been having, chat with other people. It's a good time. So before we go any further, let's just quickly recap what we're going to talk about today. We have a returning guest to the show, Aaron Gertler, who just took down DreamHack Anaheim. And we're going to be talking about that experience for him and, of course, his now-famous Team Clover deck. So definitely keep listening for that content. Just going to do a little housekeeping here, and then we'll get right into that. So if you didn't listen to last week's show, I had put out a call for people who have been listening to the show who enjoy it to just engage somehow, whether it's following on social media platforms or joining the Discord or leaving us a review on iTunes, stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's just really helpful for a new podcast. And so I really appreciate all the people who did that. And for you listening, if you have not yet done anything like that, I would ask you to consider please help me out. It can just be as simple as a quick just click follow on Twitter and that's all you have to do or like our page on Facebook or Just, you know, whatever's easiest for you really, really makes a difference over the long run when more and more people do that. So, to incentivize this a little bit, I want to bribe you. So, how am I going to do this? Well, what I've decided to do is I'm going to start doing a monthly giveaway. And originally, I was thinking about trying to hook up with wizards and get some kind of, you know, prize to give away in Arena, but. That all sounds a bit complicated and maybe we'll figure that out down the line. So instead, what I'm going to do is every month I'm going to do a $20 prize giveaway. And it's basically going to be I will either donate $20 to a charity of your choice or I can get you a gift card to wherever you would like to go. It could be an Amazon gift card. Could be a gift card for any of the sites that sell magic swag. I'd be more than happy to do that for you. Okay, so how do you qualify for this giveaway? All you have to do is one of the following you can like our Facebook page, you can follow us on Twitter, you can subscribe on YouTube, you can join our Discord, or you can leave us a review on iTunes. And spoiler alert, I'm going to weight the iTunes reviews more heavily because those ones just really move the needle as far as helping a show to grow. So if you leave a review on iTunes with words, then I will count your contribution three times in the pool. Now, one of the tricky things about iTunes reviews is that they're actually different for different countries in the world. So if you do leave me a review on iTunes and you would like to get entered into the prize pooling, just reach out to me via any of the channels. You can message me on Discord, message me on Twitter, send an email to arenacraftpod at gmail.com, whatever, and just send me a screenshot of your review, and so that way I'll know to attribute it to you. Because if you live anywhere other than the U.S., as I understand it, I may very well not see your review, which kind of sucks, but that's the way it goes with iTunes. But anyone, anyone who's a follower on any of the platforms is eligible for this prize. And what I'm going to do is for people who've already followed, you're already in the running. So you can just kick back and relax and enjoy and you might get selected. So again, $20 prize every month, we're going to try it out, see how it does. And you know, if we get good results with it, then I might just institutionalize that and do it regularly. So I think that that's a, pretty, that's a pretty good deal, right? Find ArenaCraft on Twitter, click follow, you're done. Maybe you'll get a $20 prize. Sounds good to me. Uh, lastly, before we start the show, I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of podcasts out there who have been very generous and who have reached out to me and, and been sharing my stuff. So the first podcast I want to shout out is the Magic Arena Drafting Club. This is run by Sean and Jeff. And these guys are just a blast. They talk in a very frank and fun way about the life of a magic drafter on Arena. And I really enjoy that show. It's like a combination of kind of charming, low-key banter and surprisingly in-depth and fantastic information about the current drafting set on Arena. And so highly recommend these guys. I've been loving their content and definitely recommend that you go and check them out. The second podcast I want to shout out is called Mythic Legendaries, and this is an interesting show. It is a combination Hearthstone and Arena podcast, and so I know that there are a fair number of people out there who enjoy both of these games together. If you are one of them, then this podcast is definitely for you. This is hosted by Mark Sapphire and Rich G, and it's just fun discussion. These guys have great banter. Good jokes. I was just listening to one of their shows today and it was cracking me up. So definitely go check them out, quality stuff. And yeah, it's been just really great to connect with both of these podcasts and stay tuned, but might be some collaboration potential in the future as well. Okay, thanks for sticking with it, guys. I know that was a long intro, but just things happening in the world of ArenaCraft that I needed to tell you about. And now we are going to move on to our guest interview segment. So now returning to the show, today's special guest is actually the very first person that I interviewed on this podcast. And since that time, he has gone on an insane run all the way from being number one on the Mythic Ladder on Arena to taking down DreamHack Anaheim this past weekend. And so we have returning to the show, Aaron Gertler, Little Beep. How are you doing tonight?
1: Uh, feeling pretty great. Got a nice ego boost from that kind of intro that you gave me there. I find that the the ego, once you start getting it, you kind of need to keep getting it. So you're riding a smooth <laughs> high and you don't have the crash. Um, I, I'm worried about what happens if I go 0-2 in this Mythic Point Championship. Might, might see just a, a quick Evo dive right into the gutter, but um. anyway, I'm doing well tonight, uh, just planning to ladder a little bit more, get a little bit further ahead of the the only other rivals I have for the number one spot right now, and try to finally end the month that way for the first time.
0: Excellent. Yeah, so there's been this kind of burgeoning, growing rivalry between you and Crokeys and also Zapgaze. The three of you guys have been kind of like the Clash of the Titans to secure number one.
1: And Jabberwocky who surged into number one last night in a surprise showdown, although didn't surge that far in. I I kind of joined my stream thinking, oh, great, Jabberwocky won a lot of games, going to have to win a lot of games in a row, and then I just won a single match and was immediately back to number one. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) He stopped stopped right after he got it, I guess.
0: Well, and... I just I think this is really cool, and it's actually something I wish that the arena client made it a bit easier to track what was going on here. Like it would be really cool, or or even if there was like a third party website you could go to to track the leaderboard, because you guys have been doing this like leapfrogging on a on a daily or or almost daily basis, and I I think it's quite exciting. You know, I think for people who are following your stream or following any of the rest of those guys. I think it'd be really entertaining to be able to track that in real time.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, just having a regular old MMR system where I can just see numbers next to my name would be neat. I played on the Pokemon ladders a bit, and Pokemon Showdown, the most popular client for for that play, has, certainly has ratings attached to it um, in a numerical sense. So you can kind of see where you are. Uh, would also be, I don't know, I think I think the drama definitely does add to things. We've gotten a lot of Twitter followers who I think are, some of them are probably interested in Team Rick Clover. I think a lot of them are interested in fighting.
0: Yeah, so yeah, you know, hopefully we'll get that at some point. Seems like Wizards is invested in obscuring the data for now. But, you know, the game is still young, so we'll see what happens. So what I wanted to get into first with you here was just, like, I wanted to get your overview of the Dreamhack tournament and get some of your reflections on the experience of playing it and how the meta game felt to you at that event. So I think maybe the, the first thing I want to ask you is, coming into the event, you clearly had an idea that your Team of Clover deck was particularly well-positioned for this event. Is that right?
1: Uh, to tell you the truth, I would have played the deck pretty much no matter what I thought the metagame was going to be. Sure. Even if I knew for a fact in that it was going to be 100% red or like 75% Simic Ramp or something weird... I think it's uh, it's the only deck I know how to play at this point, <laughs> goodness <laughs> knows. Um, I could probably try to pick up Blue-White and pilot it, but I wouldn't be good. I certainly wouldn't be good enough to have any chance against uh, people like Alan Wu or Austin Bercevich or, or the, the other great players who showed up to this event. So I brought the deck I knew how to play. I brought a deck that I had been winning a lot with, and it felt like I, I kind of could assume that the popular decks at the tournament would be the same as the popular ones on ladder probably, um, and that did, did turn out to be the case. So that was a it turned out to be a good choice, but it was. I only played it because it was going well for me on ladder. I wasn't trying to make a metagame call or something. It's just I'm a I'm a person of limited talent when it comes to picking up new stuff and running with it right away. I like to get a lot of reps.
0: So yeah, a, a lot of people have been referring to you as like a real specialist when it comes to this deck. So it sounds like you would agree with them that like you very much like you like to find a deck that. That really makes you tick and that you know you feel like you can get a good win rate with and then just go in really hard on that deck?
1: Yeah, I think anything that is... I, I described this to someone else the other day. Um, the idea is just I like decks that have more... that draw more cards and play more lands than anybody else. I think uh, it's, it's a fairly common thing for people like doing, but I think decks like that are often associated with being kind of casual decks because some in some formats the brutal mono-red deck or the lockdown blue-eye control deck that just answers everything, decks like that are often the top dog in their formats, but... When it came to like Blue-Green Mass Manipulation and then Teamwork Clover, these are just ramp decks that give themselves lots of options. I remember being kind of disappointed in not liking the Blue-Green decks as much when they switched over from being frilled Mystic, in Insight, kind of decks that could play at instant speed a little bit, to just being slammed down your big permanent pretty much every turn, um, once cards like Cavalier swords Thorns were printed and just overpowered the other stuff you were doing. Because I like that instant speed interactive element where you can deploy your cards in different patterns and... Uh, play different kinds of games with your opponent depending on what they're doing. But Team Clover just does that in spades to a, to an extent I couldn't even have imagined uh, before Eldraine came out.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of people talking about the deck now are saying that it's by far the most complex deck to play in standard at the moment. And, you know, I think that that's, that's one of the things that makes it really exciting for me. You know, I I picked it up and played it for a run back when we first talked about it. And I really did enjoy the fact that it presented so many different lines and so many different options. And it was a fun puzzle for me playing the deck. And it was also fun to watch my opponents kind of struggle to come up with a coherent game plan against it.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to play against. Like The mirror is really weird because you and your opponent could could switch off and suddenly be playing a very different kind of game than when you were playing a turn ago, depending on who has which adventures at what times. Yeah, and then, um, I mean, goodness knows, I still make plenty of mistakes playing the deck. Chat will see this in the streams that I do. Um, and even, like, the finals of Dream Hack, I, I, I just got overwhelmed with complexity and was kind of panicking, making decisions too fast, and just clicked on a Brazen Bar when I was supposed to click on a bone crusher Giant. <laughs> that was, like, the finals of the tournament. Yep. And, uh, it, like, and the funny thing was, chat was still, like, maybe there's a reason that instead of killing all the opponent's permanents, he wanted to put him back in their hand. It's like, no, no, sometimes you just punt. <laughs>
0: Yep. Well, and I think that part of the challenge of that, and I was reflecting on this recently, is that this deck in particular is playing cards from pretty much all of the zones of Magic, right? So it's like, in addition to playing cards from your hand, you're also wishboarding very often from your sideboard. Uh, you also play a number of cards in the deck which can pull back cards from the graveyard. And mm-hmm. then you have cards that get put into exile from Escape to the Wilds. And then you also have cards that get put into exile from their adventures.
1: So, Yeah, it's kind of good. I guess the w- it's almost like a relief that Fae of Wishes no longer works the way these cards used to work, where they could get cards from exile as well and put them back in your hand. <laughs> You'd be able to make some fun loops with Wands in Future, but also it would just complicate things even more. Yeah, um, yeah I, and I definitely make zone mistakes too. I think it's been a while since I accidentally lost a card to escape from the wilds to the wilds. Eventually you get, uh, get used to that. But during, I think, round six of Dreamhack, I was up against Jeskai Fires and like, oh, okay, I need to get a once in the future so I can get back a Brazen Borrower and then bounce their stuff. Wait, I don't have a Brazen Borrower in my graveyard. Why did I think I had that in my graveyard? And it was just over there so it, I never bothered to put it into play and get it killed. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> just sitting out there on an adventure. Um, yeah. Or like people who suggest that we put Uro in the deck. I'm like, well, Uro's a good card, but you're aware that like nothing in this deck goes to the graveyard, right? Like your arrow is coming back on turn nine. I hope it's good on turn nine.
0: Yeah. And it's also, it's not like I've noticed that you haven't been running fabled passage in this deck.
1: Yeah, that would make the Uro plan better.
0: Exactly. I think that, that if you're running Oro, it's not the Fabled Passage is necessarily like a, an auto-include, but it's it's one of the stronger things to play with that card to just try to give you more chances to get it, right?
1: Yeah, but I think Fabled Passage is actually a pretty bad land. That's a mini rant I'd actually like to go on since a lot of people ask about it. Um, All
0: right, lay it I can't, on
1: us. I just can't. If you watch my streams, you're going to see exactly how many games I'm able to do things like keep a four land hand because have a scryland in it, play the scryland, put a land on the, top my deck to the bottom of my deck, um, that otherwise, if I had drawn that, I was just going to have a really slow, ugly mana-flooded hand. It feels like this deck has to play a high land count because you want to hit your land drops reliably and play all the stuff, but you also are prone to flooding for that reason. You're also prone to drawing the wrong half of your deck, like against Mono Red. You really don't want a handful of Edgewilling Keepers and Beanstalk Giants. You want to get brazen Borrowers and bone crushers and Lovestruck Beasts. And Scrylands are just really good at finding the right half of your deck at the right time. I think uh, I just have tried field Passage in the deck, and it's always felt so bad just to not have that little bit of extra selection, especially those turns when you go land, escape the wilds, get five cards out. The only thing you can do is play a land that turn. And like I like it when I can just get a free scry at the same time. It just is one of those little edges that builds up into getting that win rate a couple percentage points higher than it would otherwise be.
0: Well, and especially with a deck that draws so many cards too, like I find there are so many turns in the deck when you know, maybe you have a scryland in your hand and, you know, you have seven other lands out, right? But you'll just slam your scryland at the beginning of your turn because you're going to play a bunch of cards into your edgewall innkeeper and you just want to get the jump on drawing the right card in that situation.
1: That's the goal, yeah. And, okay, of course, they're sometimes clunky. It's not like scrylands are penalty-proof, but I just, I I feel like every time I put a land on the bottom of my library, it's like, I just drew two-thirds of a card or something off this land that I have. And it, it just makes playing a higher land count so forgiving.
0: So... Is there also some consideration to the fact that your beanstalk giant is already taxing your basic lands so much that you don't want to double dip with your Fabled Passage? Would that be something you'd worry about?
1: That's a small part of it. I will say that games that you fetch all your basics out, you usually win for for reasons. You have a lot of lands at that point, but (laughs) I've certainly also had games where I was hitting Fabled Passages laid off Escape to the Wilds and be like, okay, well, this can uh be nothing this is just a blank piece of cardboard that i have to ignore i can't play it accidentally or i'm going to be sad when i try to get land with it um so it's nice just to have one less thing to have to track at the same time although that's a i think a minor consideration
0: yeah absolutely okay so fabled passage has has been given the boot summarily dismissed
1: i could go back to talking about dream hack now if you want <laughs> sorry yeah, I no no this over the, is great part about the tournament i
0: think this is the kind of information people want to hear so yeah let's just let's talk about the tournament. So. Coming into the tournament, what was your experience of actually playing through the matches?
1: Uh, I guess I, I mean I had no expectations going to the tournament. Everything I said in the, the post-tournament interview was, was right. I just like, well, maybe I'll win $800 on the weekend. It'll be a fun chance to hang out with my friends um, from the internet, who I, I guess my Discord, many members of my Discord showed up at this event. Um, and as I was playing through the matches, I'm like, I know Team Clover is good. I'm not surprised that I'm winning these matches, but I feel like at some point... Eventually, I'm going to hit all the Team Erec players who came in, or I'm going to get unlucky against Jeskai, and as it turned out, no one brought Team Arec, except for like one unfortunate teammate of mine who I never ran into, and um, a lot of people brought fires, but I just kept getting lucky against them.
0: Let me let me pause you there. Okay, so you yeah. said before that Team Arek was one of the matchups that you were worried about. Why is that?
1: I mean, so the things that Team Clover is good at doing, of which there are many, it's good at building small advantages in the long run, which is how you kind of beat blue-white. You can just draw cards identically a lot and overwhelm their ability to defend themselves. Um, It's good at reacting to the board, which is why it's good against decks like Mono Red, because you can bounce things and stomp things in the course of going about your business. That's also the reason that cards like uh, Archon of Sun's Grace are not actually good against the deck, because it just interacts as a a side effect of doing what it's doing anyway. Uh, But decks that are very good against us tend to be decks that we have trouble interacting with their key pieces. So, for example... Jeskai Fires is has creatures you can interact with. You can bounce their Cavaliers and you can stomp their Sphinxes. But the fundamental thing they do, Fires Invention, is a card we have a hard time interacting with. Um, and if we don't get it off the board, they're often able to come out with faster aggression than you can possibly react to. Uh, and then Wilderness Reclamation is even worse because while um, Wilderness Reclamation, just they don't need creatures to kill you. Like They're just going to kill you with spells on the stack and by having lots of interaction for what you're doing. And it's like, you can bounce a Cavalier, you can block a Cavalier with Lovestruck Beast, you can't block an Explosion with Lovestruck Beast. Right. Uh, it just it just kills you. And so in order to beat Reclamation, you either need a fast aggro start, which is possible but unreliable, or you need a really big game where you go off and get lots of wishes with Fae of Wishes and can kill their enchantments. But the way that they interact with you and the fact that they can just close so fast once they have a Reclamation on the battlefield makes those plans difficult to execute.
0: Yeah, and another thing that I've noticed playing this deck is that It's easy to fall into this mindset of like, oh, you know, I have a wish board. I can just go and get like a return to nature or something and deal with that problematic enchantment, right? But I mean, the problem for one thing, it's hard to want to main deck a lot of those. uh, Sorry, to sideboard. A lot of those effects because, you know, you're using a wish board, so you're not going to be running a bunch of them, right? And then the other problem is that you're typically not getting those until turn four or later. And oftentimes, by the time you're actually able to bring that answer to bear on that problematic enchantment, they've just already gotten an incredible amount of value out of it.
1: Yeah, like, one way to beat this deck is to attack it at a weird angle that it needs its sideboard to answer and do that quickly. Right. Um, Which is what, uh, I guess, some decks are often pretty good at doing this. Nys is a little different because you can actually interact with her, but she's tough. Like, she lines up pretty well naturally against a lot of the things that you're doing. Um, And, like, I guess the other way to beat Clover is just to take its cards away before they do anything by using a deck like Esper to Thought Erasure all their stuff. Um, yeah, so those are those are decks that are a little bit more problematic, but if you're doing permanence, or if you're like a really slow control deck and you don't have closing speed, then those were the decks that showed up to Dreamhack for the most part. Um, I, I played, almost all my matches were against Blue White and Just Guy Fires, those were just the decks that were successful in the upper end of the bracket, and... Jessica, I think, is after playing that tournament, even though I did have to get lucky a few times um, against players who were like, missing land drops and such, I think that matchup actually does feel favorable now. I think I've become confident enough in understanding the different patterns of cards they can play after a Fires. And also having Mystic Repeal is really helpful. The fact that Fey of Wish is now Answers Fires Invention on Curve, yeah. if you're on the play, or if you add a Beanstalk Giant, is just a really big deal, because it means that in in the majority of games, they probably need two Fires to really get you, or they need a very good draw... Once, they, once you've removed their Fires. Right. So that matchup now feels pretty good. I talked to some Fires players who felt like it was awkward for them if they were up against somebody who was, who was playing Cloverwell. And then Blue-White is just a... I can't say a buy. I mean, I've managed to lose, I think, two matches to Blue-White this season. But I've won, like, 20 matches against Blue-White. It's a very, very good matchup. Um, and they just have one card that matters, and it's Dream Trawler. And if you can answer Dream Trawler, nothing else they do is really very important because all of their cards are one-for-ones, and all your cards are two-for-ones or more.
0: Well, and I noticed that you were running some key cards you were running to answer Dream Trawler were uh, Sorcerer's Spyglass, which is actually surprisingly good tech against Dream Trawler. Uh, a lot of people don't think about the fact that that is an activated ability. And you were also running the... Uh, what the equipment? What's Shadow it? Spear. Shadow Spear,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, name, actually. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. So out of the two of those, which, like, if you're worried about a Dream Troller, which one are you likely to nab first?
1: It depends. I think if there's no Dream Troller in the battlefield yet and I'm just starting to prepare for the long game, it's likely to be um, Spyglass coming down just because it's easy. I don't need to hold up mana to use it. If I have lots of mana, then it might be Shadow Spear. The nice thing about Shadow Spear is even if they're able to protect Dream Trawler, let's say you can turn off the Hexproof, but then they can counter the interaction that you are they're going to counter your Brazen Bar or whatever that you were sending a Dream Trawler. You can still just fight them back and gain life. I think that's one thing. People, people treat Dream Trawler hitting you as though it's this horrible disaster that you can't recover from. Mm. But in reality, if you're like chump blocking it, all it says is at the beginning of your turn, you draw a card and gain five life. Right. That's like a powerful enchantment, but at six mana, it's not that good. And... If, you, if you're if you just like are attacking them back and if you have a Shadow Spear and you're gaining 10 life when you hit them with a Beanstalk giant or something, it doesn't really matter that Dream Trawler's attacking you. Well, so, and
0: you, you raise yeah. a good point, which is that Clover main decks eight flyers. And so, yeah, that's plenty of chump blocking and plenty of interaction. And, you know, there might actually be awkward turns where you have enough flyers that it might discourage them from even attacking you at all, right?
1: Yeah, and you can make cute plays where if you have a Brazen Borrower and they decide to. Um, they have a turn where they untap a Dream Trawler. If you have like two stomps, you can send a stomp to their head and then copy a stomp at the Dream Trawler. And either they give the Dream Trawler hexproof, which means it can't attack, or they let it take two damage. And then if they attack into your Brazen Borrower, it just dies. Because yeah. they need some way to get rid of your Brazen Borrower, which makes their turn a lot more awkward. So if you think about. like The deck has lots of bad ways to answer Dream Trawler, but it has a lot of bad ways to answer Dream Trawler. And combined, this often adds up to being able to answer Dream Trawler to blue white. Out of Bant, <laughs> Now, the croquis' Bant list is a bit different because, in addition to Dream Trawler, it has other ways of applying pressure. So you're often forced to burn some of your kind of anti-Dream Trawler cards on other stuff they do first. I think that matchup feels really interesting. I've run into it a few times, have won some, and have lost some, including some that I felt like I was actually pretty far ahead in, which generally doesn't happen with Clover. So if that becomes a big part of the meta, I anticipate lots of really fun back-and-forth matches, um, and it does seem like Roku's been doing well with it, I've been seeing a lot of other pros testing that kind of list. So maybe that's the next evolution of the meta, is that we just, we're just we all just playing huge mana decks with lots of bust interactive spells.
0: So let's talk about the Bant matchup specifically, because I've been playing Clover back on the ladder, and it has felt overall really fantastic in the meta game, and that Bant matchup, and to be honest, any any matchup against a deck that has Simic in the colors has felt more difficult to me playing the team of clover deck and i'm yeah i'm just curious like to hear a little bit of your thoughts about what makes the Bant matchup hard and how you would think about trying to attack it
1: so i think i think you've identified basically by decks and Simic colors i assume you mean nissa decks as opposed to like uh an old school blue green flash or whatever else yeah that's that's what i'm thinking right yeah and i think
0: decks i'm thinking like decks that play growth spiral nissa cavaliers crisis and are trying to kind of they're basically trying to do the same thing clover does which is play a lot of lands and draw a million cards but sometimes i just find that their threats are a little bit bigger than yours and sometimes your interaction doesn't seem to be enough against them
1: yeah, so I think as... I'll talk about the Simic matchup first, because I think it's like a good matchup to talk about, and like if it evolves into how you fight these other matchups. Once I started to approach the Simic matchup as probably an aggro, like a deck... Most of the time with Clover, you're the control deck. Even against Blue-White, you're kind of the control deck. You're using your aggressive creatures as a tool to force them to tap out so you can resolve Escape to the Wilds and draw many more cards in them most of the time. Um, against Simic, you're actually just genuinely the aggro deck, because they are a deck that goes more over the top than you do in the long run in most games, and they have a I win the game button in Finale of Devastation that will end you from almost any board position, where you don't really have an I win button against them in the same way. And so the thing I found is just thinking about every hand and every kind of way that I play out cards, just like how well does this pressure Nissa? If they don't have a Nissa on the board, they're usually not going to be able to beat you because you can handle... I know some Cavaliers or even like a six-six Graces or something. Your, your Clovers can keep up with that. It's just Nissa doubling all their mana that you can't handle. So, um, like Lovestruck Beast, I think is is probably the most valuable card in the matchup. Brazen Borrower being a close second, just because have it if you have a turn one, a one-one, and a turn two another one-one, so you have like Inkeeper Lovestruck, and then turn three a five-five. Um, if they like make a Nissa and make a land, and that lands their only blocker, they're in this very awkward spot where you can just attack Nyssa to death unless they throw away their land blocking your Lovestruck Beast. And if they do that, very frequently you can just bounce their Nyssa, and it's like, okay, take your turn again, I just killed one of your lands for free, and they can't keep doing that forever against you. Um, And combining Bonecrusher Giant and Lucky Clover and Brazen Borrower and Lovestruck Beast, hopefully you can usually apply enough pressure to stop Nyssa from really getting a bonkers turn if it untaps. Um, Especially if you're able to kind of focus your attacks on killing their forests when you get the chance, it often turns out fine if you just think about... You're an aggro deck that happens to have a backup plan of ramping and drawing cards and playing ether Gusts out of your sideboard. Bant is tougher, I think, because they have answers to your stuff. You can't just throw... on Against Simic, you can just throw all your creatures in the battlefield. It doesn't matter. Bant runs sweepers. Simic, you can say, as long as you don't have a Nisite, you can probably win the game. Bant has Dream Trawler. And so that makes it a little tougher. What I found with the matchup so far is... I think with Bant, you probably go back to being something more of a control deck... Um, and trying to, because you do need to find an answer to Dream Trawler a lot of the time, you do need to try to go bigger than them in the long game, because they're hard to aggro up because of those sweepers. Um, it's hard to say, I mean, I haven't played the matchup enough to talk about like a general approach to it or something like that, but I will say that I've added Expansion Explosion back to my sideboard. It wasn't in the sideboard of the Dream Hack list, because I thought it was kind of c- too cute, and I would rather just have extra counters for Wilderness Reclamation, which I was very scared of. And now that it seems like Reclamation has been almost chased out of the format by other stuff, it's still there, but it's not common. Um, expansion explosion just gives you a way to sneak out victories where both of you get to twelve lands and you need to kill your opponent somehow, now you can just deal twenty four to them out of your sideboard if if you if they don't have the counter for you. Um, and I think that that like burst damage and like doing really big things on the board is sort of key to the matchup. Like I saw crokies play against a Teamer player on stream, and I think the Teamer player at one point like fetched a Chandra out of their board like relatively early in the game where they have to spend their whole turn playing this Chandra, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a a, a a lot of mana to be spending on this one effect, Um and they kind of played the Chandra and like upticked it, and then it just didn't do anything before it got Aether Gusted, or else with the Conqueror's death. I don't remember what happened, but they just this effect was not big enough. Chandra's uh, real main role in this deck is to kind of be a catch-all against control decks that are heavy on counters, or against an opponent you know is holding up a counter, or against something like exiling a Cavalier in a rare ch- in a rare uh, circumstance. She might not be necessary because the blue light matchup is so good anyway, but that's she's there to get around counters mostly and be a thing that provides inevitability. She's not there to be like your big sledgehammer that wins the game because Chandra is not a big enough sledgehammer.
0: She's not, and and I think that you really nailed it. The card that was really the death knell for Chandra, in my opinion, was Elspeth Conker's death because... Not not only does it answer it cleanly, but it exiles it as well. So you don't even have the option of, of using your once in future to grab it back or something, which is something you might actually want to do in a long game.
1: Yeah, once in a while you can get off the combo of like Fesh Chandra plus Disdainful Stroke out of the board, and then you can answer the Elspeth Conqueror's Death. But right. in those circumstances, do you really need the Chandra? Exactly. So I, I would not be surprised if she got the axe from my sideboard well before, um, maybe not this Saturday's tournament, but the, but the Mythic Chan- Points Challenge after that.
0: Yeah. So, are you are you considering running more counter magic in your sideboard? Because I feel like let's see. When I looked at your board for Dreamhack, I thought you were running just negate and disdainful stroke. Is that right?
1: That's right. I've cut negate actually. I don't think it's necessary anymore. Okay.
0: And let me just ask you. So you keep this deck updated on Scryfall, is that right?
1: I try to. It's not always going to be perfect.
0: Okay. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And so you know, you folks listening, you can, if you want to get Aaron Gertler's latest or at least latest since the last time he updated the deck version of the deck, then that's a good place to look for it.
1: Yeah. I linked to it from all my YouTube videos and you can find it in Reddit posts and so on. It's hopefully pretty easy to find. Um, although if anybody can't find it, you know where to find me, hopefully. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the current cyborg is just disdainful. stroke. I think that negate just hits fewer things than stroke. I think stroke, there are very few things that are cheap that you really want to counter much most, most of the time, um, and then I've just added back the third ether dress that I cut briefly, um, and just basically it's just compared to the dream house. It's just expansion explosion over negate, which I think it gives you more options. Oh, one one thing I should mention against the Bant matchup that you should be on the watch out for, the lookout for, is copying storms wrath with expansion. That's a very good way to clean out both a dream Trawler and Anissa if they have one. Mm. Right. It uh, kind of just wipes everything off the board. And that can be pretty injurious to a deck like uh to the Bantlist. Because other than Hydroid Crisis, they really have a hard time drawing cards. Right. And being able to to cut off other walkers and resource of recurring advantage can put you in a better position because you're the one with the big card draw spells.
0: hmm So I noticed the last time that I saw your sideboard for this deck, it seemed like Ether Gust was the only card that you were going in on. Like it seemed like the only card that you were including in the kind of quantity where you might actually side it in reliably as opposed to just wishing for it. So that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. I think this is always a tension with decks that run a wishboard, right? Is like how many cards in my wishboard are there to be wished for versus when do I actually want to include cards that I'm going to switch out in post sideboard to actually try to draw them from my deck. So I I wondered if you could just cover that for us a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Almost all the cards in your main deck are great. You don't need to sideboard them out because they're just the cream of the crop as far as playable cards go. Um, like nobody's ever looked at Brazen Borrower and said, "Well, that's underpowered." Maybe somebody has. They were crazy. Um, but once in a while, you do run into matchups where certain cards just aren't as effective. Like it's Monored Escape of the Wilds is like you don't hate having your deck game one. Like you often will have time to cast it, but it's not the best thing. It's easy to die with two of them stuck in your hand.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so against Monored, just get out of those escapes and bring in these gusts, and you have just a little more interaction against them. And then uh, maybe against the Nissa decks, it's like, okay, they're hitting you aggressively with, with a lot of ramp. Maybe you don't have a lot of time to Fae of Wishes for answers to stuff, and you'd just rather have the gusts in the main deck over something like a Fae, and maybe a Bonecrusher Giant that has a hard time killing 3-3 three, three lands. Something like that. Um, so they just like, they, they often are a slightly better replacement than whatever they're taking out. I, I feel like I have enough unique cards in the wishboard. I don't think there are, it's very seldom there are situations where I'm wishing for something and thinking, oh, if only I had this card that I don't have, I could win, mm. as opposed to just needing more mana or something like that. Mm. Um, and so Aethergust has been like flexible and powerful enough that it's totally fine to have multiple copies. It also is good against decks like Reclamation and Jund that are harder. Um, yeah, I've even had, had teammates and other people think about playing in the main deck. I even played some in the main deck for a little while. And I think that could be a reasonable idea.
0: Mm, okay, so you feel like out of all the options that you want to really double down on in the sideboard, Aethergust has been the most solid overall for the meta game?
1: Yeah, back when Jon and Fiery's were the most popular decks before Theros, that, that card was returned to nature because it had targets against those decks. Right. But um, now that uh, red and Simic Ramp-type decks are, are common threats, I just like having Gust a bit more. I think it's just a little more flexible.
0: Right, okay. So so do you feel like playing the Bant matchup or the Simic matchup, after sideboarding and bringing in those Aether Gusts, do you feel like that puts you towards being favored?
1: I mean I think Teamer is favored against Simic easily. I don't know about Bant as much. I just haven't played that matchup as often. Yeah. I think Aethergust help. I think Bant probably gets a better sideboard against you than you do against them, just because they have extra artifact removal they can bring in, which is good. Yeah, Heliod's um, into
0: and stuff like that. hmm Yeah. But Aethergust
1: against Simic is great. Um it just it does it does make things better. Just um, they they have to kinda of play the Nissan curve. You're fast enough that they can't generally afford to hold up mystical dispute or something, and then you just Get him.
0: So that, that's really the problem permanent then to think about when you're playing the Simic matchup or, or any color, any deck that's running Nyssa, that's really the card that you're worried about.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cavalier can attack for damage and it can block, but it's not going to actually be the thing that kills you yeah. unless your draw was awful. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I played a match against Simic on my last uh, stream, which I actually just posted to YouTube today. So if folks go out and see the uh, February 27th video, they can see an early match against Simic where... Oh no, I'm realizing that game might have been the one that got cut off when Twitch Disconnected. I'll just describe <laughs> it. Basically, it was Magic and Simic where they had everything going for them. I think they had four Leaf Druids in play at one point, and were casting like giant creatures left and right. And I just kept saying to chat, well, they're not killing us yet. We're not dead yet. And we had two Lucky Clovers out, and all it took was hitting the right escape to the wild and then Raisin Borrowing literally their entire board. And then they just had to replay their whole board, which they couldn't do because all their cards were expensive, all the ones that mattered. And then they just died to a flurry of Three mana five fives and four threes
0: so okay i want to pivot and talk about the mono red matchup um just because there's so much of it on the ladder and i think your average listener and just your average person playing with this deck is likely to encounter that deck now my brief experience playing this matchup is that i feel like team clover is pretty decidedly favored in the matchup would you agree
1: Oh, certainly. Um, I think at one point my, my record against Mono Red was like 22-6 and six or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is now, but I can't imagine it's that different. The matchup is very difficult for them. They struggle a lot with the interaction you can bring to bear.
0: And that's been my experience, is that it's, it's funny because the Mono Red deck can be so formidable and terrifying, and it can also be like a house of cards. It's like if you just have one key piece of interaction at the right moment then their whole plan can just fold. And if you have a clover out, which turns your one piece into two pieces of interaction, that's it's like you'll often just win the game on turn three, right? Like you'll you'll double Stomp or you'll double uh brazen borrower, and that's just pretty devastating for them.
1: Exactly. So that's that's the thing. You run twelve cards that are all very good against this deck, Brazen Borrower. Um, love shark beast and bone crusher giant you also run fay of wishes which is a one four flyer over two blocks pretty well and then lucky clover just doubles all the interactive effects and as long as you have a reasonable mix of those cards to go with your especially the and keeper helping you cycle through your deck more you'll be fine and of course it also helps that Fey of wishes can be a removal spell for anax with mystic appeal and that beanstalk giant can sometimes be cast if you're doing a lot of ramping in the game that kind of thing um yeah, the matchup just feels very strong. My, my rule of thumb against Modered, the, the way I've seen people most commonly lose to it when I didn't think they had to, is just the only thing you really have to worry about if you've both got big boards is Embercleave. Like, you can handle Anax, it's okay to trade off a little bit if they're getting some tokens because you're going to be drawing more cards than them in a lot of situations. The thing that will kill you is Embercleave. And as long as you're able to hold up a bounce spell or an Aether gust or you're able to stomp something pre-combat so they don't have enough mana, whatever you're doing to not let them cast Embercleave is probably the right thing to be doing. Of course, there are always exceptions to rules like this, but um, as like a rule of thumb, I kind of like the just don't let them cleave if at all possible, rule.
0: Yeah. Now, the particular way that Tima interacts with Embercleave is interesting, and so I wanted to talk about that for a little while, because you'll often end up with these board states where Mono Red's attacking you with four or five creatures, and they cast an Embercleave and you have access to multiple bounces from your Brazen Borrower. So you have a Clover out and you have a Brazen Borrower. And I just want to highlight that it's important to consider in situations like this how much mana your opponent has available after Embercleave and what you're bouncing back to their hand.
1: That is certainly true. I think I made the mistake once early on at bouncing an Embercleave and they could just immediately replay it. Exactly.
0: Bouncing the Embercleave in order to just block and kill the creature is a very, very strong tactic, but you do definitely need to make sure that you only... So, for example, one thing that I'll try to figure out is, let's say I have a Clover out and I have a Brazen Bar in my hand. So they, they tap for their Embercleave, it comes down, they'll put it on a creature. If I return the Embercleave and another creature to their hand will they still have enough attackers and enough mana that they can recast it, right?
1: Yeah, that's that can happen. One thing to be sure is you have to bounce them in the right order. Correct. So remember that whatever you target first is going to get bounced last. So you're going to want to target that Ember Cleve first so the creature gets bounced before the Ember Cleve goes back to their hand. Otherwise, if you bounce it, the, the creature will still be counted as attacking. They might be able to recast it. Yeah.
0: No, that's, that's a really good point, and it's one of the subtleties of the deck that you have to get used to. When you start playing the deck, you'll probably get blown out a couple of times by stacking your triggers in the wrong order. So let's just recap to make that very clear. So what you're saying is the thing that you target first will be the trigger that goes off last, and so you, you want to keep that in mind when you have multiple triggers going off with all of this stuff.
1: Yeah, and if you're nervous about it, this is i w I'd feel off I would feel a little odd saying this about a lot of decks, but there's no shame in just practicing against Sparky. Right. <laughs> just get out there on the ladder and just beat down some bots. Yeah. Like Sparky's gonna play creatures and stuff. Yeah. It's a good to like get practice with just hitting the triggers and knowing what zones everything is in mm-hmm. before you actually jump on the ladder. I mean you could do this in tournament practice mode too, but a lot of people hate losing to other people. Yeah. So you might as well uh beat down on the robots first.
0: So another subtlety that may escape a player who's just starting with the deck as well is that the if you have multiple Clovers out, then you want to make sure that you have enough targets for all of your resolved effects, because if you don't, you're going to lose your adventure creature. And that might be okay. You might still feel that it's worthwhile to, to throw away the creature just to get the multiple effects, but it's something to think about.
1: That's definitely the case, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's most useful to know this when you have the option to like play a Clover and then adventure or adventure and then play a Clover. Just remember that that Brazen Barrow needs targets for all its abilities. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, I think a pretty minor thing. I usually feel like if I'm bouncing my opponent's whole board, I don't really need the three on flyer to be able to win. Yeah. Uh, but if, if you can avoid it, do be careful with it. Um, yeah, there are a lot of subtleties to, like trigger ordering when it comes to like when you go after cards like Dream Trawler, for example, and making sure that you, uh, have targeted the copy that's not going to be the hexproof bounce copy, so that you get it afterwards. But that's all hard to talk through on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I don't of know course. If this is the best media, of course. Watch my YouTube videos. Sorry, obligatory self plug. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying. I, believe, I, I, I make YouTube videos about the deck. I think just watching people play it and like slowing down when a complicated play is coming is probably the most instructive option you have in a lot of scenarios.
0: And so you've been streaming a lot lately too. Um, how can people find you streaming?
1: Yeah, just uh, twitch.tv slash Aaron Gertler. I just made the account before I even realized I was going to be playing Magic Arena, so I didn't bother to use my screen name there. But um, that's where you'll find me. And I am trying to do more of this now that I've won DreamHack and now that uh, there's there's some chance. I mean, I've just gotten a lot more followers and a lot more attention. And it's, it's now, I think, more rewarding to stream to like a lively chat full of people who are asking engaging questions. Um, so you're, you're likely to see some content if you go in there excellent
0: okay cool so I just wanted to ask you with the meta game the way it is now what are you thinking about and what do you worry about so when you, when you're running this deck like what are the decks out there that keep you off at night and stress you out
1: well this reclamation does um, partly because it's like a good against us and partly because it's just not a very fun matchup to play much of the time it's just a matter of do they have it do they not have it um, I think Bant ramp is Tough, but it's it's like more fun to play, so I don't worry about it as much. But if I were, you know, if I were, had a bunch of money on the line, I would worry about playing against the the Bant list. I think it's a very tight matchup. Uh, Jund is tough; um, they they just interact very well with you in, in terms of Witch's Oven shutting off all your adventure creatures by sacking the things you target. That's that's not fun. Um, and Korvold is also just a hard card for you to deal with. That's, that's pretty much it, I think. I mean, Esper is annoying sometimes and Fires is annoying sometimes, but the, like, the three matchups I talked about are the only ones where I feel like there's a chance we're like, unfavored in the matchup as opposed to just like losing more often than we do against Blue, White, or Mono Red. I think Team Red Ventures is just overall out-and-out out very powerful, and as you learn to use it better, um, a, lot of, a lot of decks just aren't quite strong enough to keep pace with what it's doing.
0: Yeah, and I just wanted to call out, too, that we gave an overview of some of the core functionality of the deck in the previous conversation that we had. So I would highly recommend going back and listening to that as well. It was episode number two. And yeah, you can learn a lot more about the basics of of how the deck ticks by listening to that. Yeah, I second that. So yeah, I just, I wanted to ask before we finish and wrap up, was there anything else that you took away from your experience at DreamHack that, you know, you you think is valuable?
1: Hmm. I think the importance of like being... Physically ready was not something I had thought as much about. It's like I ladder <laughs> okay. all the time, right? I play lots of Arena, but it's very different when every round is against somebody who's an excellent player, yeah. and when every round is like very important to your eventual outcome. Like by the end of the second day's Swiss rounds, I had played ten rounds of Magic over two days, which is nothing, right? Like you do that one night on the ladder, but I like was getting stress headaches as I headed into round eleven when the playoffs were starting, just because I had been thinking so hard uh, and because you know the, the pressure was just on. And I think it was, I mean, huge shout out to my wife, Tammy, for being at the tournament and being open to, uh, in and grabbing like a soda or something between rounds when I didn't have time to like get up and run. I definitely wish I had been drinking more water. Remember to, uh, like hydrate and take care of your body. Uh, a healthy body is likely to be, lead to a mind that makes better decisions as well. Um, anything else? Yeah, I think, uh, one thing that was like pleasantly surprising to me was just how like nice everybody was. It felt like sometimes you'll hear anecdotes at paper tournaments about people trying to cheat you or angle shooting a little bit, but uh, in almost every case at this tournament, it's just like everybody's just playing this computer game, and there's no worry about any of that stuff, and everybody's just kind of having fun with it. Um, It helped. I think there was a small pool with lots of prizes, so most people were going to go home pretty happy, Uh, but... um, yeah, it was like it was also well-run. Like Rounds started like almost the second the last Dream round ended. We would just get the new rounds and pairings would go up. So there wasn't a lot of waiting around, being nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it was really fun. I would really highly recommend people go to Dreamhack Dallas. I think these tournaments are super sweet. I think they're only going to run them if they actually are popular or keep running them if they actually are popular. And I would love to see more Dreamhacks happen because I think it's just nice to be able to go play Arena and not worry about managing your paper collection or whatever.
0: Yeah, I noticed that too, just what you were saying about how nice people were. I've noticed when I watch the pro events for that Magic puts on like the Mythic Championships or like the World Championship I feel like sometimes after those games the pro players are almost like too tilted to you know shake hands or like not not every time but sometimes I'll like see a player get up and just kind of wander off in a in an upset daze and it really seemed like a dream hack it was like it seemed like every single game ended with a handshake it just seemed like there was a really cordial atmosphere there and I really liked that.
1: Yeah, some folks in chat were confused by this. There were cases where you just, like, there was a handshake but the cameras just cut in after it happened because people would shake hands almost the second the game ended. Yeah. So uh, the don't be fooled by that kind of thing. Um, I mean, no no disrespect to, like, pro players who wander off in, like, a sad days. Like, I've definitely had sure. matches of Magic in my life where all I want to do is wander away and <laughs> uh, not think about whatever had just happened. Yeah. Plenty of those matches. Uh, I, I remember, like, losing... Losing my eleventh match of the day in the MCQ to go nine and two was definitely one of those. From like, oh, I guess, I guess that happened. Yeah, um, that's rough. Yeah, I mean, not anymore, right? It's like I, I I qualified for that event anyway. It's been an insanely lucky last week of Magic for me, but um, yeah, it's a hard game, and and sometimes it just is. After thinking about Magic for so long, you just like you can't think of anything else. Mm-hmm. It's just like your brain's in a different mode, and it's really hard to get it turned back to where you need it to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed, for example, that uh, after you won, uh, y- you almost dropped your trophy. Right? Was that was that part of a function of just being like kind of overwhelmed and tired? And uh,
1: it was more that the trophy was on a blue box that looked like it was part of the trophy, but okay. was not part of the trophy. <laughs> and I picked it up, and I'm like, "Oh, this is just made of like cardboard. This is not part of the trophy." But I'm holding it, and I can't just turn around in front of the cameras and put it back on the table. <laughs> and I thought it was, I thought it was somewhat more stable than it was, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Got, got, a, got by. I was,
0: <laughs> I was with you. I like when you picked it up. I was like, oh yeah, that's the base. Oh no, that is not the base of the trophy. <laughs> and I'm glad that you touched on this. So, what happens next for you? So, you're qualified for what now?
1: Um, the Mythic Invitational in May, okay. which I will be playing in. Looks like the prize pool is going to be, I think, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars across 128 players. This is high value for sure. Yeah,
0: pretty decent.
1: Yeah, maybe uh as as I did in the. Uh, DreamHack tournament. I'm going to be participating with, uh, you know, depending on what I win, but it's like some good size fraction, of my winnings going to charity. So I'll be, uh, fighting out there for, for more than just kind of me having more money in my bank account, although there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, I do plan to be preparing with my team. At least one member of the Rip Raptors, that's our kind of discord testing group, has qualified in, uh, Shoop, 1-10-0 with the MCQ that I went 9-2 in. Um, hopefully more folks will qualify by then. I s- and, uh, I also got a fun message today from the person who went 10-0 uh, and 0 with team Clover in the MCQ last time, just saying like, hey, looks like you and me are, are both qualified, and we're both Teamer Clover people, let's test together. So I'm looking forward to uh, picking up a few more tips and tricks from this other person who's been very successful today. Mm,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. And of course, just getting used to the mirror match, because you're probably going to have to deal with that more.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what sideboarding has to happen um, around that. Like I. I need to think seriously about the wishboard now because the meta does look quite a bit different and there is a lot of clover on the ladder right now.
0: Yeah, and actually, you know, we didn't go very deep on that, but do you have any advice, like any initial advice for people playing the mirror or is it really just a matter of like know your role and understand when you're the control versus the aggro is is that kind of what it boils down to
1: it very much is a know your role matchup i think uh it, it just every game depends so much on what the other person has yeah. some games are about getting rid of all their tokens they can't hit with love struck beast other games are about some completely different paradigm that's going on um the thing i will say aside from know your role is pay attention to the board It's very easy to get lost in playing the value game and to, like, wish for cards that draw you more cards. But if you're just going to get attacked to death and you can't, like, beat a stomp, um, you really need to actually play to the board, too. And you'll have a lot of games where your choice is, do I draw cards, do I put cards in my hand, or do I, like, play out some creatures that I've already adventured out? And just make sure that whatever you do, you're not, like, undervaluing just... Having stuff on the board attacking your opponent Mm,
0: right right how worry how much do you worry about your opponent's clovers like are you trying to brazen borrow those early in the game and kind of keep them off clover or are you more just trying to develop your own board
1: well that's a good question i think most of the time given you have two mana there's not much you can do besides either borrow a clover or uh play your own clover yeah um i think it I will borrow clovers early most of the time just because stopping, it depends on my hand, of course, but stopping like a a beanstalk giant from coming down Mm. for a turn can be really valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually borrower is like one of the lesser cards in the matchup. Like it just doesn't target all that much stuff usefully. So I'm happy to throw those way bouncing early clovers in general.
0: Yeah, that was going to be a question of mine. How often, if ever, do you find yourself bouncing an adventure creature back to your opponent's hand in the mirror?
1: Um, I mean depends on the situation if I need to get that love strike beast out of the way so I can attack through it or if I need to get that beanstalk giant off the board so they can't fling it at me mm-hmm. I'll do it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely had games that I won by just scrapping it out with uh, a bunch of bounces at the right time to put them in a position where I could uh, force them to like spend their I mean, uh, sometimes you can kill them by surprise sometimes you can get them low enough that they're forced to spend their next turn playing to the board instead of drawing cards which then gives you an opportunity to draw cards mm, right. it's just like a, fin- a hugely complicated matchup and I look forward to at some point my hope is the deck becomes just popular enough that some brilliant uh, Hall of Fame level player just decides to put together a guide to the Teamer Clover Mirror and then I can read it and be like, ah, yes, good. Mm, right?" Because I find myself a bit lost almost all the time playing it.
0: I think what you highlight, though, has seemed very important to me in the few mirrors I've played where you're really focusing on like... It, it feels like a very bursty matchup to me. And, and what I mean by that is you're looking for opportunities where you can bounce a couple of key blockers and just like do 10 damage right or like or look for an opportunity okay now i can like draw a bunch of cards this turn and try to get ahead this way so it seems like a kind of matchup where you're looking to have these like flurries or to catch your opponent tapped out or to you know just it seems like you have to pivot very quickly around like what your opponent's last turn was
1: yeah, and I think maybe there's like a, an idea about proactive versus reactive mindset. I noticed that when I play Clover, something that I have to shake myself out of sometimes is, well, I just want to react to whatever they're doing. Clover's a reactive deck, I'm just bouncing their stuff, I'm shocking their stuff, and eventually I'll win with my creatures. But, of course, a lot of the time in many matchups, especially the Clover Mirror, you can't just just react to everything they're doing. You actually have to think... Is this hand proactive? Like, is this a hand that's supposed to just curve out and beat them down?
0: Yeah. Well, and something that I've noticed, I because I totally agree. Something that I've noticed about the clover matchup is when you look at all of your adventure creatures, they're all like each one is a very aggressively slanted creature. When you think about it, right? So, like, love struck beast is a three is a five five for three. Brazen borrower is a three one flyer. Um, the the bone crusher giant is a four three for three. And then, you know, Beanstalk Giant is just a million, right? And so I think I, I've also had these moments like, I think it's important, let's say like in a matchup versus Mono Red, for example, I think it's important to realize when you look at your board and you have two Lovestruck Beasts that can attack and you have some bounces, and you're at 8 life or something like that. And it's important to, to just realize when I can just get in for 10 this turn and bounce a couple of my opponent's creatures, they're not going to kill me next turn, and they're basically dead on board to my big creatures. And so that's been a really important inflection point that I've noticed, especially in those matchups where you're likely to worry about your life total or, or to be playing defensively in the first couple turns of the game.
1: Absolutely. That's something, actually, there is a match in the in the last YouTube video I made, the February 27th uh, recording, where I did play against Monored and reached this inflection point where they had an number Cleave and a bunch of attackers, but I was able to bounce some stuff and then realize oh, I just have 14 power on board right now, and they don't block, even though they have Seder tokens, but those can't block. I'm just going to kill them now. Yeah. And you definitely do reach that point in a lot of games. This, yeah, this deck's hard to play. I think, uh, I feel like if, like, Paulo were really to devote himself to learning Team Rick Lover very well, then... Hollow might be playing the best deck in the format. I wouldn't know that I, I don't know that I'm playing the best deck in the format when I play Team <laughs> of Clover. That's a very different claim.
0: Well, I mean, you've been consistently at number one on the ladder and you've posted pretty intimidating win rates against pretty much all of the top decks in the format. So I think it's safe to say that the deck itself is capable on any day of being the best deck in the room. And it really does seem like a lot of what Creates that separation gap is just having the willingness to put in the time, and of course, you've been you know you've put played more hours of this deck than anyone else by a, by a mile, right? So, you know that that seems to be a, a big part of it because uh, I think even even a skilled pro player I think would need to put in a substantial number of reps with the deck just to kind of get that brain configured to the play patterns that you encounter with it.
1: Yeah, I think that is true. Actually, um, Emma Handy. Of of the Star City, a uh, Star City Games writer and, and good, very good player, was uh, testing with Autumn Burchett today. In with and Autumn was playing Clover, and Emma was playing something else. And I think an Emma quote was, "I'm pretty comfortable I could, with picking up basically any deck in Standard and learning it in the next two days, except for Teamer. Like I think I would need more time for that one. And I think so. What I'm saying is, if you want to get good at Teamer Clover, start playing it right now. Go pick it up. What's wrong with you? Do it faster. Do it now." uh best second standard what else can i yeah that's uh i'm trying to remember the rant that i gave at DreamHack when they asked for me to brag
0: (laughs) yeah and that's one thing uh for anyone who's picking up this deck fresh i would say give it a little time the first couple matches i played with the deck i was like oh this this feels like garbage why would i ever want to play this deck and i i would say it wasn't until maybe like my fifth match where I I just thought, yeah, like it started to click for me. The pattern started to click for me and the power and how quickly it could turn the corner and stuff like that. And yeah, I would really recommend that if you are interested in the deck, just give it a little time. And I actually think that suggestion of playing against Sparky is a really, really good one because it can just be good to like look at some hands, think about is this a hand where I feel like I want to play out my innkeeper on turn one or would I want to sandbag it, right? Is this a turn like when I want to cast Beanstalk Giant versus just slamming my Bonecrusher Giant and, and giving up on the mana but having a greater presence on board, stuff like that?
1: That's all important to practice. I will say that at Dreamhack, before every single match I played in the playoffs, um, besides, I guess, the back-to-back ones to start the, to start the playoffs because I had no time, I was just like jamming games against Sparky. I was sitting up there on the stage in the big <laughs> chair and I was just lose I was just conceding to Sparky over and over again because I just wanted to reassure myself that oh yeah, this deck can have hands that have lands and spells in them and curve out and stuff. it will be fine. <laughs> Cuz like there's this horrible that's I guess something I didn't realize was going to happen is the second I got into these high money rounds. I was just like thinking over and over, like oh no, what if they play this card? And what if I don't have this card? And uh and uh what if I just only draw two lands the whole game? And and it's just nice to just run through some sample gold fishing matches and be like, yes, my deck has cards in it, it's fine.
0: I love that. Little little mental gaming tip there from <laughs> from Aaron Gertler. Awesome. So um, Aaron, before I go, I just want to ask you for the benefit of some of our newer players in, in the audience. What's something that you wish you had known when you first started playing Arena or something that you would advise new players to think about
1: when getting into Arena? Yeah, so I guess by the time I got into Arena, I had been a pretty serious Magic Online grinder for some time, so I was uh, was used to a lot of the stuff about how it worked. I think um, a couple things to note. Uh, first, definitely make sure you're stocking up on cards that are going to be valuable in a bunch of different decks before you uh, invest in kind of like one pet deck. I definitely made a mistake early on of thinking, oh, these these Arena rails just feel like free money because it's so much cheaper than Magic Online. I'm just going to... Going to throw my mythics away on whatever, and then I would realize after playing one match with the deck, oh, I hate this. Why did I do this? So try to try to be a little bit smart with your spending, even though it's going to seem a lot cheaper than than real Magic, right? Uh, in, in paper. So, and let's
0: let's just go into that. Like, what are some of the cards in the current standard format that you would recommend people invest in first?
1: Well, lands are always a good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty hard to go wrong, just like picking up lands that make several colors.
0: And let's let's clarify. There's probably a hierarchy here, like. The Shocklands,
1: right? So Shocklands are going to not be... I mean, Shocklands will rotate it up standard at some point, so it depends on the timeline you're going for. I would say if I were investing in lands right now, my order of operations would be something like Fabled Passage, followed by... I mean, Shocklands are in every deck that has more than one color. but um, So probably those are actually good ones to go for. But uh, yeah, so Shocklands are great. Fabled Passage, Temples, that kind of thing. Other arena stuff, I guess... uh, Try not to pay too much attention to ladder rankings and stuff. You're gonna be in the percent sometimes. If you look on streams like run by major pros, sometimes you'll see them in the percents. Like I'll 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 sell canister out a little bit here, but this is like a world championship player. I ran into canister on ladder the other day, canister was at 97%. Um, which implies this does not mean that canister was like a bad player this month. What it means is that canister was testing decks, and some of them probably weren't working very well. Um and that that happens to everybody. I've certainly been a percent gamer plenty of the time when I was like trying to get to the point where I had a team or clover like Brew. Because sometimes you, you try building it, and it's terrible the first few times. Um, so just don't be discouraged by ladder-ranking stuff. Don't pay too much attention to it. Just focus on, what am I learning from this game? Even if I lose this game, did I learn something from it? Have I found this deck? Is this deck I'm playing actually good? Or am I just, like, is actually, is it losing because it's not good? Is it losing because I'm getting unlucky? Do I just feel like I'm unlucky when, in fact, the deck should be good enough to be able to win game like the, a game like this? Try to be realistic with yourself. Um, but don't like pay too much attention to the numbers focus on your skill because if you are a good player um, if you are getting better that is the numbers will eventually take care of themselves just worry about what you're learning and what you're taking away from each game you play
0: Mm, i like that yeah so doing well is almost a side effect of improving your game
1: exactly yeah
0: i think that's fantastic and one thing that i wanted to note something that i'll do especially if it lines up is you know it's at the start of the season or i just i reach a point in the season where like i just hit platinum or i just hit diamond um when you when you're at the very bottom of a bracket or like let's say you just hit mythic that's a really excellent time to test some random janky stuff on the ladder because you can't drop below that rank
1: oh absolutely my favorite my favorite time of of any month is the first couple days of the month because that's when i can throw out all the decks i've been laddering with them until then and try some weird new stuff and probably lose with it but i get to play with like cards and, and colors that normally i would avoid because i am somebody who's trying to grind to the top of the ladder although i'm wondering now i might not even need to do that anymore it used to be that the only way i could get anybody to pay attention to a deck like team or clover was by hitting rank one with it i might just be able to tell people decks are good now
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> that's it's, a fun idea it's part of having cloud, aaron it's part of winning
1: things you know and i am here for it i am here for it <laughs>
0: So uh, so let me ask you this. Do you have an aspiration to to just go further and further with magic? Like if you had a shot at the Rivals League and stuff like that, is that something you'd be interested in pursuing?
1: Well, I mean, I have a job I like a lot right now. I have a line of work. I have a life outside of magic that, mm-hmm. uh, that takes a lot of time and energy. But I think if I'm able to keep up with what I'm doing now and also uh, if I can make it to Rivals and it doesn't have to be a full-time job to do it, if I can kind of do what a lot of other magic players do and play seriously, but also keep my life up. I, it's a community full of people I like. It's a game that I really enjoy. Um, my wife is starting to get into it now that she's sat there a dream hack, being confused about what was going on on the screen all week. Um, the dream. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm very, uh, very interested in, in continuing here. I think uh, it's just a, the, be- the best games of magic give you a feeling that almost nothing else can touch.
0: I agree. Well, I would encourage everyone to go and watch Aaron's stream. It's a fun experience. Yeah, you're very good at describing methodically the lines that you take and why you do it. So I think if you want to get better at magic, and especially if you want to get better at playing Team of Clover, then go watch Aaron play some of his games. He, you know, he doesn't leave a lot to the imagination as far as why did I do this or not that or, or what am I playing around or, or what am I worried about, right? And I think that's a really key part of of learning you know, like I remember there was a game in particular I was watching where you were playing against a green stompy deck and they had you on the ropes for basically this entire game and you were clawing your way back into it and you were taking very, very, very specific lines because you didn't want to lose to Questing Beast or Nyssa. Um, uh, sorry.
1: Um, Vivian. Vivian. Giving trample. Yeah, Vivian Reed, they, right? I had a lot of turns where I had like five blockers and they could all block stuff, but they couldn't block it questing beast or a trampler and so i had to think what what line makes me least likely to lose this or crucially on turns when i couldn't afford to play around it and just had to hope they didn't have it how do i set myself up so the turn after that i can stop that from
0: happening exactly and i just that was like a particular game that i found really instructive and they did actually at some point draw that questing beast and because you had set up for it you were able to answer it in a situation in which it definitely would have killed you and you were able to actually close out that game and win by, you know, by a fairly narrow margin. And so just, you know, to to get insights like that and to get kind of like a a play by play, I think is really valuable. So I would definitely encourage that you go and find Aaron on twitch.tv and just, you know, watch, watch him do what he does.
1: Thanks for the plug.
0: Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I hope that the next time we talk, you'll be a mythic invitational champion. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going for here. And
1: Thank you. I'll try to do it for you specifically.
0: <laughs> yeah, baby. That's what we're going for. All right, Aaron, take care. Take care. And that's going to be a wrap for now. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, don't forget to follow on Twitter, Subscribe on YouTube, leave us a review on iTunes, join the Discord, like our Facebook page. These are the ways that you can enter yourself into our $20 a month drawing. Seems like a good deal to me, trying to make it easy for you. And really, just thanks so much for everyone who's been participating, who's left feedback. It really helps, makes a big difference, makes me feel really excited to keep doing it. And this thing's moving along. I'm really excited. I have a number of awesome collaborations and interviews lined up. So definitely stay tuned. More awesome content coming down the pike soon. Until next week, take it easy out there.